This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Here's your host, Chris Adams-Wall. And welcome into This Week in Rays Baseball, Winter Meetings Edition. I'm Chris Adams-Wall, coming to you from the Winter Meetings in Nashville, Tennessee. While day one was relatively quiet for the Rays, day two saw the Rays re-signing reliever Chris Davinsky. On today's program, Rays beat reporter for MLB.com, Adam Barry, joins me to talk about the right-handed reliever's return to the trop. Plus, I'll get together with Rays manager Kevin Cash to get his two cents on the offseason. Then I'll sit down with Rays Vice President of Baseball Operations, Chanda Laudermilk, and Rays Vice President of Player Personnel, Kevin Eibach. But first, Rays manager, Kevin Cash. Kevin, thanks so much for joining us. How's your offseason been so far? It's gone well. Uh, it's nice to you know reconnect with the family a little bit better. Not traveling so much, but certainly appreciated the, the postseason uh, in baseball and now watching some football. What's the best thing that you've done so far this offseason? Um... You know, we took a family vacation that was a lot of fun before uh, the Thanksgiving. But, you know, just being there, getting to see my, my son play uh, soccer and do his thing. And then my daughter's got a big performing arts play coming up, so I'm excited about a lot of things. Have you taken any time to think about the Rangers series and just how quick uh, a playoff performance that was for the Rays? Obviously really tough, but uh, the Rangers did go on to win the World Series, so if you're going to lose to anybody... It's not so bad if it's the world champs, I guess, right? Yeah, look, congrats to the Texas Rangers, Bruce Bochy, and all those players. Uh, certainly watched the rest of their games, but it was quick. That's a good way to describe it. They came out, they hit and pitched, uh, and you know, basically beat us in every facet. But you certainly appreciate the talent of that team. Um, wish that we would have played a little bit better, but you can't always pick when you're going to play good when you're not. What are your thoughts on the new playoff format? We're two years into this, and the Rays obviously haven't advanced past the best of three series, but... Uh, what do you think about it? Well, I, I personally, I'm a big fan of it. I mean, we played, I believe, in 2019 a one-game playoff against the A's and in Oakland, and we were fortunate enough to win that game. But that one game to come down from, you know, to decide whether you go on from a 162-game season, that's tough. So I think MLB is, you know, doing the right thing by allowing a three-game set. The manager of the year came and went as well. You were a finalist again. Uh, you didn't win it this time. You've won it twice before. Brandon Hyde of the Orioles got it, but. Uh, were you bummed at all not to get it, or is that something that you're even thinking about at this point? Not too much, but I, I, I'll say I think the person that got it and Brandon Hyde deserved to get it. He did a tremendous job all throughout the season, and what Brandon has done and kind of withstood in that organization, being Baltimore and then come out and play the way they did this year, pretty remarkable. So happy for him. Uh, look, it's always a great honor to be uh, recognized by your peers. I think it's a reflection of having some really good players and, and a really good team, so fortunate with that. And we're here at the winter meetings in Nashville now, and I've heard that no one enjoys this more than you, Kevin Cash. Uh, 
how what are you looking forward to the most of these these next couple of days here <laughs> getting on a plane and leaving uh that was a layup but look no i enjoy I enjoy seeing people that you don't see uh you know for the better part of four months in the off season uh but you know you get entrenched in the off season you get to be with your families and they come out here but look there's a lot of work that gets done here i know it's a grind for all these front offices and certainly eric uh leading our our group you know he's going to work as tirelessly to to make sure he does everything he can to help our organization you know have a good team on the field whole race front office is here so i am curious how much input do you have like if there's a free agent that you're interested in are you knocking on their door and being like hey you might want to take a look at that guy look I, i've learned over the course of many years that they're they're better at it than i am they're smarter than i am uh their process is certainly better than maybe what what i would think um so I, I give them all the credit and try to just be a fly on the wall. And if I'm asked a question, I'll give an opinion. But totally trust the decisions that they make and they, they have made have really put us in a good spot. You're renowned for your communication with players during the offseason. Have you been staying in touch with the guys? Uh, yeah. I mean, a handful. You know, it's a balance of you don't want to bother them too much, but you, you certainly don't want to let them know or you want to let them know that you're thinking about them. So, you know, you do it before the holidays, and then once spring training, January rolls around, we'll ramp up and have more conversations. You have a new first base coach this year, Michael Johns. How excited were you to make that call during the offseason? And that's a big deal for him, isn't it? It is. I was very excited. MJ is very deserving. Uh, he's done so many things. He's worn a different uh, a lot of different hats throughout the organization but he, he's a Tampa Bay Ray and anytime that we can promote from within uh, it, it's meaningful to everybody and last question before I get you out of here is it weird being here and knowing that you're not going to see your good buddy Terry Francona for Cleveland I mean maybe he's going to come here but he's no longer the manager of the Guardians obviously it's a it's it's pretty odd weird odd sad in some ways but you know wish him the best and want to see him get healthy but Tito's a big piece of of, of baseball and we're missing a great personality uh but you know I, I'm sure we'll see him around again well thanks a lot for your time Kevin and uh, have some fun this week all right thank you <laughs> That was Rays manager Kevin Cash. Next up, Rays beat reporter for MLB.com, Adam Barry. Adam, thanks so much for taking the time, first and foremost. It is a pleasure to be here in your fancy recording studio, Chris. <laughs> so, well, yeah, it, it is quite fancy, aren't we? Yeah, we won't say which team is behind us, but yeah. So anyway, it was a seemingly silent day, day one at the winter meetings, but today... Some news. The Rays are bringing back Chris Davinsky. That's right. The Rays brought him back. We knew they had interest. He was one of the three relievers who reached free agency at the end of the season, along with Robert Stevenson and Jake Diekman. They lost a couple of other arms due to some of the roster shuffling and the deadlines along those lines, so it was pretty clear they had a need for a little more bullpen depth. They liked Davinsky. They signed him to a major league deal near the end of August, got him into their bullpen and for a couple outings in September. Had a couple rough outings early on, but they liked what they saw, change up, um, guy who's pretty good against left-handed hitters, uh, somebody who they can potentially stretch out for multiple innings, which is always a need in the Rays' bullpen. A relatively low-risk deal, uh, $1 million with a $100,000 buyout of a club option, $2 million club option for 2025, um, but it's a major league deal, so he is going to be on the roster. He's going to be in that bullpen. Just gives him another option, another guy that Kevin Cash can turn to, a guy with some familiarity. Um, kind of answers a little bit of a question that we had as far as who's going to fill in those last spots and where's their depth going to come from after they lost so many guys early in the offseason. Um, so pretty low-key move, all things considered, but it's the winter meetings, and it was one of the first transactions for any team here, so it felt like news, and it was uh, it was something that happened here. <laughs> we'll talk about how that affects the Rule 5 draft on Wednesday in a little bit, but let's not forget Chris Davinsky was an all-star back in 2017, and... You mentioned it, 
couple of rocky outings early on, but down the stretch, he actually pitched pretty well. Well, like, look, I can remember a couple of years ago in spring training when the Rays made a relatively low-profile deal for a reliever who bounced around a little bit, a right-hander with an interesting changeup by the name of Jason Adam, and look what he turned into. This is the kind of thing that the Rays do. They get guys who, you know, have had success in the past and maybe struggled with injuries or a little bit of ups and downs, underperformance, things along those lines. They turn them into useful pitchers. I would not be surprised at all if that's the case with Davinsky. And if nothing else, it's a useful arm. It's depth. It's going to provide coverage out of the bullpen, another right-handed option who they trust against lefties. We saw that immediately. As soon as they got him, they were putting him against good left-handed hitters. So there were some learning curves, I suppose, at the beginning. But uh, you did start to see him turning around a little bit. And, you know, it's, it's another option back there along with Fairbanks and Adam and Poche, Clevenger, Armstrong, Kittredge. You look there, and it has the makings of what all of the good raised bullpens have, where you could say, ideally, you don't have low-leverage guys. You just have different matchup guys that you can pair, different pockets of lineups that you can use, uh, you know, so you're not just riding Fairbanks and Adams to death you know, in the bullpen throughout the season. Um, so I think it's a, a guy that they liked, somebody who they uh, maintained dialogue with even as soon as he became a free agent and wanted to bring back, and they made it happen. Winter meetings are in full swing, as we mentioned here in Nashville, and uh, rumors are swirling, as they often do at this thing. Tyler Glasnow is a name that's been floated in a number of different rumors, although the Rays still have him. They have not traded him or anything like that. And uh, it, it's a little unclear as to whether they will. I mean, it's possible that they hang on to him. Eric Neander has said time and time again that we could run it back with the, the team that we had last year. What do you make of the Tyler Glass now stuff or the lack of activity, I guess, so far? Right. I mean, he's definitely the most likely trade candidate on the roster at this point, I think, because he's due $25 million next year, which plays a big part in a uh, projected payroll that's currently in the $120 million range. That would be by far a franchise record. Um, so it makes sense. He's a, you know, a top-end starter. He has a very talented, very good arm. Uh, everybody's going to want a guy like that in the rotation, um, you know, Somebody who's going to be in demand on the trade market. I've heard roughly half the league has checked in in some form or another on him. Um, my colleague Mark Feinstein reported that he is, uh, uh, I believe several executives said he is definitely going to be traded. Now that's the opinion of rival executives. What we hear from the Rays is that, like you said, they insist they don't have to make any moves. They could very well, their roster is full, they could bring back this roster, pay a lot of money for it, which they say they have the ability to do. Um, and, and roll forward with the group that they have. However, it's the Rays. They tend to make trades, and they uh, have to understand that it's not just about this season. They're looking to set themselves up for success next year, 2025, and many years beyond that. So the question that you also want to ask is, if you're going to run this group back with that payroll, that doesn't leave a lot of room for additions beyond what they currently have. And I think it's fair to ask, if you want to push all in like that, on a roster that is not going to have Shane McClanahan next season while he's out recovering from injury. That has some uncertainty with Wander Franco. We don't know what his status is going to be uh, heading into next season. And we'll have uh, limited use, perhaps, of Jeffrey Springs due back at some point later in the season, Andrew Rasmussen, and probably a workload-limited Shane Boz. Is this the group that you want to push all in on? Or can you take what might be minor steps back on your roster by trading someone like Glasnow? to set yourself up for success in the future and also to just kind of retool things, reshuffle. Maybe you add uh, to the position player group. Maybe you make another trade where you can add another young starter to you know, kind of backfill that rotation spot. So they have a lot of options in front of them. And the reason that I think it's been so quiet is all of them are predicated on trades. And while Eric Neander has been very open about a lot of dialogue taking place at these meetings, 
it's still tough to make a trade. You have to have a team meeting the other's demands, and it takes time, and it takes negotiations. That hasn't happened yet, um, but the conversations are ongoing, and personally, I would not be surprised if Glasnow was traded this offseason. Whether it happens here, I don't know, but eventually, probably. That's one, that's one player who, who's been in some rumors. Uh, a couple of the other ones, you mentioned position players, Isak Paredes and Randy Rosarena. Now, whether those rumors have any kind of merit, that's another story, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think when you start to see guys come up in conversations like that in rumors, the word that gets thrown around is shopping. Like the Rays are shopping Isak Paredes. They're not. They're listening to offers on him. They listen to offers on everyone. That is one thing that they've held dating back to the Andrew Friedman days. They view that as their responsibility to listen, find ways to make their team better in one regard or another. So um, it makes sense that they would listen on guys like that. They also have a lot of talented young infielders and position players in general, uh, competing for spots on the roster, that, yes, maybe you could shuffle off Isak Paredes for perhaps a controllable young starting pitcher, and that opens up a path to playing time for a Curtis Mead, a Jonathan Aranda, eventually a junior Caminero. Um, So it makes sense that they would listen. doesn't necessarily guarantee anything's going to happen. Certainly would have a hard time seeing Randy Rosarena being traded, just given his... Uh, fit in the outfield, you know, middle-of-the-order hitter, kind of his prominence, I would say, overall is a, a little bit of the face of the Rays right now. Uh, he, I would have a harder time seeing him moved, but he is starting to get a little bit more expensive in his arbitration years, um, a guy that would be in certainly some demand, but whether a team would be willing to meet what the Rays would require in return for him seems a little unlikely. So you're going to hear a lot of those guys. Manuel Margot's name is going to come up. Harold Ramirez's name is going to come up. Uh, just players that are aging and getting into their more expensive years who could be um, replaced or backfilled by younger, talented guys coming through the race system. We'll see where that goes. Then we have the Rule 5 draft on Wednesday, which should be really exciting, although maybe not for the Rays necessarily because of the Chris Davinsky deal. Oh, yeah, the annual thrill ride that is the Rule 5 draft to uh, wrap up the winter meetings every year. Hey, it's going to be my first one, so I'm excited. I can't wait to see your face when it's all going down. Uh, no, but the Rays, with the Davinsky signing, have filled up their roster, so they, assuming they don't make a trade between now and 1 o'clock tomorrow afternoon or today when you're listening to this, uh, they won't be able to take anybody in the Major League phase. They still could lose some of their unprotected prospects. I think Cole Wilcox is a potentially interesting name there, um, one of the pitchers they got in the Blake Snell trade. Hard to say if a team would you know, take a chance on him, his up, high upside arm, stick him in the bullpen, stash him for a year, see where he develops, maybe like a Cameron Meisner or somebody like that, a toolsy outfielder. Um, but we'll see where it goes. Rule 5 picks are hard. We saw it with the Rays, obviously made keeping Kevin Kelly look easy last year, Rule 5 pick, but they won't be eligible to pick um, in the major league phase as long as their roster remains full until then. We'll see what happens. One of the uh, bigger names, probably the biggest name of the winter meetings, is uh, Shohei Otani. And actually, I'm bearing the lead here. Major news. He was in the Tampa Bay area on Monday, apparently. But he was meeting with the Toronto Blue Jays. That's right. I'm glad we got to the Rule 5 draft before Shohei Otani being in Tampa Bay on this Rays podcast. Uh, Yeah, he has apparently met with the Blue Jays reportedly at their spring training facility in Dunedin. Um, They're one of the teams believed to be in pretty strong pursuit of Otani. That would obviously be a seismic move in the American League East as if the division needed more talent and more competitive teams at this point. Um, But we've also heard the Dodgers in. We've heard the Cubs in on Otani. That seems to be just the focal point for every single person in the industry at this point is wondering where he's going to 
sign and then wondering what the trickle-down effect is going to be there. Once he signs, where does the uh, Yamamoto market go? Where does the Blake Snell market go? Where does the Cody Bellinger market go? So I think a lot of people would love to see him sign here or pick a team here, but it clearly seems like he is still meeting with teams, including uh, one trip that took him to Pinellas County. Yeah. <laughs> well, we can't wait to see how it all plays out. Last question for you. How has this been for you? What what number winter meetings is this for Adam Barry? That is a great question, and I'm not actually sure because of the, let's see, 2020 obviously canceled, 21 was canceled, so this is, last year was our first one back after the pandemic. This was actually the site of my first winter meetings on the Pirates beat back in 2015, so it's a little bit of a... You know, kind of some familiar uh, surroundings for that. Yeah. And I also went to high school in Tennessee, so it's a, so a little bit of familiarity there as well. Um, I love it personally, in addition to just obviously getting to spend time with you and everyone else in the Rays beat here. Um, I love it personally because this is one of the rare times, maybe the only time, where I get to be with my 29 other beat colleagues at MLB.com. We all get together. We sit together in the workroom. We talk. We you know, talk about what we're hearing, what we're reporting, and things like that, and just get to work together for a really rare occasion. It's, it's great. That's my favorite thing about that is catching up with them, catching up with people in the uh, baseball industry. We just ran into Clint Hurdle, who I covered as the Pirates manager for years, and Peter Bendix, who's with the Marlins now, and Sam Fold and all these other people. So I love just the sort of big baseball family get-together aspect of this. Um, I know people, people get excited about the rumors and the trades and all those things, but and that is certainly the business appeal of it and the excitement of getting to talk to GMs and executives and Kevin Cash, who we spoke to earlier, um, and just some of the other things that take place with the game and the meetings themselves. But I just love having everybody under one roof, in this case, literally under one roof, that we have... <laughs> seen pretty consistently over the last four days without going outside (laughs) yeah we really need to get outside it's one big family in here and bonus question for you i I didn't get a chance to ask you about this during the uh, regular season but you did become a dad recently how has that whole experience been exhausting thanks for asking yeah (laughs) falling asleep right now (laughs) yeah uh yeah she turned 10 months old yesterday um so it's great she is amazing it's everything it's cracked up to be you hear like I always now, though, immediately came to regret every time a player would have a baby come back from paternity leave, and we would ask him, so did you get any sleep? No, he did not. The answer is no, they did not, and he probably won't get any sleep for a couple of months after that either, but it's great. Um, Very fortunate to be home in a place where we can be around my family, my wife's family, raising our daughter um, back home in the Tampa Bay area, so it's been great. Little Barry. And we got the big Barry right here. Adam Barry, thanks so much for joining us on This Week in Race Baseball, Adam, and enjoy the rest of the winter meeting. Always a pleasure. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. 
And we certainly appreciate the time of Rays beat reporter for MLB.com, Adam Barry. Next up, Rays Vice President of Baseball Operations, Chanda Laudermilk. Chanda, thanks so much for taking the time. I appreciate it, Chris. So here we are in Nashville, right? And uh, it's day two of the winter meetings, and everything's been pretty quiet so far, but it sounds like that might be kind of the new norm. I mean, it's only three days, and we saw the Jared Kelnick deal between Seattle and Atlanta, but how has it been for you so far? I know this isn't your first rodeo here. It is not. Um, each, each winter meeting has its own personality. This one is a little bit more quiet than I'd like it to be, so hopefully in the coming days we get, we get a little bit more action. You've been with the Rays since 2018, and you transitioned to your current role uh, back in November of 2022, so you're about a little over a year in now. How has this past uh, year been for you? Uh, I think there's a term called drinking from a fire hose, and <laughs> I, I tend to do that a lot. I, um, I'm pretty lucky to be around, to be able to work around people who will share knowledge, and, and there's a lot to, to, be, sh- to be shared. Uh, but it's been fun. I've um, stretched myself in different ways and gotten really, really uncomfortable. And I think that's a sign of, of doing things right. What have you learned so far in, in your new role? Yeah, I think mostly for me, I've been so involved with like our staff and like the humans that support our players that really digging in more on the players, which is what brought me to baseball anyway, has been has been really eye-opening for me and just understanding how our information comes together and where we, how we balance our information and then just the gut checks of, of what baseball brings. You specialize in recruiting and, and talent development, or at least you have over the course of your career. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what that entails and elaborate on that a little bit? I look at it as um, player development for our staff. So the tenants of taking someone who we know um, their strengths and where they can develop and building plans that put that in, into action. So it's, it's literally taking the same idea of making our players better and how we put skill coaches in front of them and, and development um, plans and, and uh, drills and things like that. And we're just, we're just doing that for our staff too. And before you were with the Rays, you were with the Houston Astros for 10 years what was it that drew you to baseball in the first place? To baseball, um, my, my mom, whenever she wanted to make me sit still for a while, she would hand me a pencil, paper, and I would sit and score a game. So um, she, she's the one that taught me baseball, and it's always a game that has made sense to me and where I would go to, like, relax or, like, feel good about where I was. And then... Just being in professional sports and just the the collective effervescence of a crowd when the game is really good and things like that's that really draws me in and it's been an, it's been a gift to be able to work around. But how did that opportunity come about in baseball? It's one thing to start out as a fan, but it's another thing getting into the business. Yeah, I was a tour intern in at Enron Field okay. in, in 2000 when they opened up the the ballpark. When it was called Enron Field. Yes, yeah. yes. I uh, I had made a connection to one of their ticket executives through a school project that I was doing, and um, she's a phenomenal woman named Jill McCormick, and I thank her to this day for giving me a phone call and saying, hey, do you want to, do you want to work in the tour department for a little bit? And I was a very shy person, like fresh off the farm. I'm a farmer's daughter, like not an extrovert by any stretch of the imagination, but we toured about a thousand people a day in the summer. And 
every everyone from you know five years old to 95 and it was it was a wonderful experience and so I built relationships in that particular organization so when I graduated from A&M I interviewed a few times. I actually interviewed five times with the Astros. They told me no four uh, until this particular position opened up with their HR department, and I was able to to start recruiting there. All it takes is one yes, right? Absolutely. And then you got to explain, uh, hey, what's that pole doing in center field, right, over in Enron? (laughs) It was great. But before that, you were were working uh, for a private recruiting firm in the oil and gas industry. What was that like? So um, being in Texas, you need, to, you need to learn to speak that language, that's for sure. And I, was, I graduated first class after 9-11. There, there weren't a lot of jobs. I took a, a receptionist role at a recruiting firm, and the senior partners had me, like, gather the interviews for, or I'm sorry, the resumes for all of the interviews. And without sharing what I was doing, I would start ordering them in the order that I thought they qualified for the role. And one of the senior partners picked up on that and moved me to the back, and I started full-cycle recruiting for drilling engineers and geoscientists. And, um, yeah, I like baseball better. <laughs> and you've been in baseball now for close to 20 years coming up on that. How did the opportunity come about with the Rays, though? Because you spent a full decade in Houston. Yeah, um, so we had just done some cool things in Houston in 17, and then uh, the winter of 17 Reed Ryan calls me into his office and he said you know the the Rays want to talk to you and I was really happy we're at at Houston I was like you know thank you I appreciate it but I'm good and he said no Chanda it's it's for baseball ops you might want to you might want to take this call and I was really appreciative of of his support um and I did and I I came and heard how this group talks about humans and how they make decisions with that eye on what's good for the person Um, and that's, that's the language I love to speak. So it was, it was a really exciting match. And since you've gotten here, the Rays have been on quite a run, right? Five straight years in the, in the postseason. You got here in 2018, so right before that stretch started. I've asked a couple of people this since being here at the winter meetings, but what to you makes the Rays such a special organization and so unique in, in, in how they stand alone, really, uh, amongst the other 2019? There's a lot of things. Um, if you want to get me mushy, get me start talking about these people. But I, I really think that they, as a group, put the human perspective in front of the, the data. And I know that's a, it's a misconception with us because we, we're analytical and we're data-driven and information is, and knowledge is power. But it's done so in a way where there's a very solid balance with what's good for the game and what's good for the humans involved. And I think that that's different. It's not, um, we don't know if it's better or worse yet, but it's different than, than what I've experienced elsewhere. And we have to mention Peter Bendix, who just oh. m- moved on to the, I know, I'm sorry, just moved on to the Miami Marlins, where he's going to be the president of baseball operations. You've worked with Eric now for a long time, Eric Neander. You worked with Peter for a long time. What was it like working with him, and how excited are you for him for his new role? God, I think um, I miss him already. I, I know he'll be great. Um, he has an innate ability to take a room full of information, summarize it in his head, and then put a plan together and really align people for a common purpose and common goal, and I admire that about him. He's also really, like, 
people don't like to use this word in baseball, but he's very vulnerable to to the experience of others, and he wants that perspective. He wants that. So he's not going to be like the guy that's my way or the highway. He's going to really take the perspectives around him and listen and, and make the best decisions with that. Um, but mainly I'm just really jealous that he's, <laughs> he's somewhere else and not here. Um, but uh, proud of him and thankful he's, he's taken this, this opportunity for himself. And how much did you learn from him when he was here and from Eric, who is still here, obviously? Daily. Um, you know, they, we, no stupid questions exist, but, it, you know, we're still shy to ask you know, really hard or difficult questions or even the ones we think are dumb. And I could go into his office at any point and say, okay, I probably should know this, but what is this? And what is, he's like, there's no reason you should know that. Here, this is the answer. And um, I think that's, that's what I miss with him on a daily basis. But Eric and, and Will Cousins and Carlos Rodriguez are like, the same. So it's just establishing that cadence with, with someone else now. Now, it's no secret, baseball has been a male-dominated space and landscape, however way you want to talk about it, for a long time. That is changing now, but... You are a woman. I am. What what has it been like for you working in in this space over the last sixteen years now? I feel good about my experience. I I don't think it's radically different from other industries in terms of what what the female experience is in the workplace. Um, I I think I think about my <laughs> my gender more than the guys around me think about it um, because I I want to. I want to belong in a way that's helpful for them, right? So taking the things that I'm good at, whether that's just the, you know, the female strengths or not, and, and really applying it in a way that's helpful. Um, I think it's exciting to come to events like this and look around and see more. Um, that's cool. And I think that um, as, as the game evolves, the, the value that, that different perspectives brings is, is being realized. Do you enjoy uh, mentoring some of the the younger women in, uh, younger women in the space? Those who will subject themselves to my words, yes. <laughs> um, I I I don't know. I role model is something that people ask. Do you like being? I don't know if I am, but I do know that I care a lot, and I care a lot about other people's paths and wanting them to have you know the confidence to do what they want to do. So if seeing me in the space gives them that little bit more like 1% more confidence to do that then then I'm happy that I can be that example for them last question before I get you out of here I know you're a Texas A&M grad what's going on with the football program there Jimbo Fisher he's he's getting paid boatloads of money to not coach the team now I'm about to make every Aggie listening to this very angry, but I have not paid attention since Jimbo got to town, so I will pick it back up now. We'll see. We'll see how how Texas A&M football turns around. But it's uh, oh, I, I've gotten some ribbing over the past few seasons. It's been it's been hard to watch. So hopefully we can bounce back. What's the experience like at Kyle Field though? Because I think it's the fourth largest stadium in the country, isn't it? I talked about effervescence of a crowd uh-huh. earlier. Like that is where. I got just got goosebumps. Um, that is where, like, I, it first like made the biggest impression on me. Like, we have a hundred thousand people all here for this sport, and that's awesome. And it's yeah, it can get rowdy and messy a little bit, but um, yeah, that that feeling you get when the, the 
flyover happens and the anthem's done and the, the kickoff happens. Like, that is so cool. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, there's just a tradition. I'm a, I love tradition, so it's kind of why I fit there, but um, that, that adds to it for sure. Well, we so appreciate you taking the time, Channel Lauder Milk, and best of luck the rest of your time here in Nashville and this upcoming season. I appreciate it. We'll see you soon. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. That was Rays Vice President of Baseball Operations, Chanda Laudermilk. Up next, Rays Vice President of Player Personnel, Kevin Eibach. Kevin, thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me, Chris. So I know you're no stranger to the winter meetings. This is what you do this time of year. How has it gone for you so far? I know the Rays have been relatively quiet so far, but there's always chatter, as Eric Neander likes to say. Sure. I think the the biggest victory I've had so far here is not getting lost on my way back to the suite. Um, <laughs> the Gaylord Opryland here is a huge place. I've uh, been here a lot over my 23-year career, and uh, every time I seem to get lost. So just making it back to the suite to have these discussions has been a, a small victory for me. But, um, no, it, it's been great having everybody here. It, it, it's more efficient when everybody's in one room mm-hmm. and able to uh, banter back and forth about trades, free agent signings, that type of thing. So, um, you know, just the time spent together in that suite has been has been beneficial. And I know there hasn't been a whole lot of activity yet. Do you think that that's unusual for this time of year, not just for the Rays, but I think in general? I mean, most teams haven't really done anything so far. Yeah, I think that... It, the market plays out a little bit differently every year. I know obviously last year, you know, kind of running point on the Zach Eflin um, free agent signing, going back and forth with his agent was really important to us as an organization that we finalize that before the winter meetings. And we were able to do that. Um, That doesn't work itself out every year. Uh, There's certain years where the market's a little bit slower to percolate and you end up in a situation where the meetings can be slow. There might be some action at the end, or we might be in a situation where we're still another week or two away from from any of the chips falling um, but certainly not for a lack of effort from anyone here <laughs> now you oversee both the internal and external evaluation of professional players but you also as you alluded to you help lead the effort on all player acquisitions so what does that look like let's say hypothetically you're interested in a certain player are you going to their agent first are you going to the player themselves first or how does that all work sure on the trade front and you know i, I think that's which we've we make a volume of trades every year. So um, we're very active on that front. And, and really, it's just developing connections throughout the game. Like I said, I've been doing this for a couple decades now. And, and we all have our colleagues and peers with other organizations that we rely on to start these conversations. So um, whether it was a few weeks ago talking to Dan Greenlee over with the Marlins prior to uh, consummating the Vidal Brujan deal, um, you know, I, I think it's just having that trust in those relationships where you can have real conversations and kind of bypass a lot of the, you know, the formalities and just get right into the meat and potatoes of, of, of what we're trying to accomplish and what that other team might be trying to accomplish. And how much of this is a recruiting process? I heard you talk to Neil Solons about that around this time last year, but it is a big part of it, isn't it? Sure, especially on the free agent side, you know, where we're allowed to talk to the players. Um, it, it is a recruiting process, and, you know, I, I 
date back to last this time last year of spending time with Zach Eflin and his wife, um, you know, and, and her soon to be a bigger family. Uh, she was pregnant with twins at the time. Um, but yeah, we, you know, Kevin Cash, myself, Eric, um, Peter Bendix at the time, we all went over and sat in Zach's living room and had Outback Steakhouse with him. And, uh, you know, we, we shared steaks and stories and, you know, wanted to make him feel that, that this is a comfortable place to play baseball. And, um, you know, I, I've had the good fortune of working for a few other teams prior to coming over here a decade ago. And I, I know how much this culture and this environment means to me as an employee. Mm-hmm. And it certainly would mean so to the players. And I think word travels quick throughout circles and players talk to players. Mm-hmm. So some of the recruiting is actually done by the players in the clubhouse. But it's always good to be able to sit down and, and explain firsthand, answer questions they may have to, um, you know, to just know that Tampa is a place that, that they're going to they're going to feel comfortable their families are going to feel comfortable and put them in a best position to succeed and for some of these players it is more about the comfortability aspect as opposed to the money correct Absolutely. And I, and I think, you know, the lifestyle of being on the road, you know, 81 games a season and coming back and playing the rest of your games at the Trop, it's, it's hey, what am I getting myself into? There's some travel situations, um, you know, if you're at one end of the country or the other. And I think that Tampa and, and the Florida, the general Florida area is a nice place to spend the offseason for, for a lot of these people. So you've seen a lot of our players that have been able to establish residency down here and have access to our facilities and our people year round. So I think some of that is a, is a recruiting method in itself in that um, Florida is a desirable place for a lot of these players to live um, and, and for their families to, to establish roots. Around this time last year, you were promoted to your current position, vice president of player personnel. We have to know, how has it gone so far? You're about a year in now. Sure. No, it's been great. I think that, um, you know, I'm not one that gets too caught up in titles, but um, been here for a while. I think this is a good organization um, that has allowed, you know, certainly for some personal growth on my own, but um, just the growth within our front office as a whole. You know, I've worked with a lot of really capable people here over time, and, you know, Matt Silverman and Eric being, um, you know, the two constants here. But, um, you know, it's been great. I I tell people all the time that one thing the Rays do better than any team in baseball is allow people to do their jobs. They can delegate. Uh, There's a lot of trust, and I think trust is earned. Um, But I think that, you know, the environment that we've created here to work in is part of the reason why we've been successful in the player acquisition space. Um, you know, because it's not about any one person. It's just about a group effort to, um, to go out and make this team, you know, one win better every year. You joined the Rays as a pro scout in 2012 and now it's uh, 2023. It's been over a decade. Have you taken time to reflect on your personal journey throughout the Rays system? Sure. You know, it's it's much like, you know, we talk a lot about our coaches that have come up through the system and we talk about the executives that have come up through the system. And, you know, Matt Arnold, you know, who's now with the Brewers, brought me over here in 2012 and um, had the good fortune. Some of it's just just timing, but Matt left short, shortly thereafter and it allowed me to transition from sitting 15 rows up behind the plate day in and day out um, to more of a front office um, opportunity where, you know, I can help establish some of our younger scouts and help bring them through the organization as well and hopefully let them follow in in a similar path so um, you know that mentorship and that ability to lead people is something that's always intrigued me and I I think it's in this role certainly you know at the VP level has been something that's been uh, been fun to uh, let come through. Do you miss the scouting at all? I'm, I'm sure you don't miss some of the cities. Uh, some of the cities that, that no longer exist in the minor league structure, um, namely Clinton, Iowa, comes to mind. Um, 
or I don't mind not spending nights there um, on the road, but I'm still traveling. You know, I, I live outside of the Chicago area, so I've, I travel 20 to 25 days a month. Um, so I feel like I still live the vagabond scout lifestyle, um, checking in and out of hotels, jumping on flights every day. So I still get my fill of that, um, but have a little bit more say in, in some of the things that we do around here. So um, I think I look at it as the best of both worlds and uh, certainly do miss getting behind the getting behind the plate and uh, seeing players for myself a lot. I still itch at doing that sometimes, and Eric has to, has to pull me back and let me know that we have other people that can do that job. <laughs> but you were a baseball player yourself, weren't you? You played at LaSalle University in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And then you, I, I read that you signed with the Schaumburg Flyers for a little bit, the Independent League team there in Illinois. So uh, what was your baseball career like, and how did you end up? I think you went to either Miami or Baltimore first, right? I think the Orioles, yeah? Yep. Yeah, I I get this question a lot from people. Um, Sorry. How do you get started? <laughs> how, how do you get started in baseball? And um, you know, I, I think it turns out a it, it's kind of a self deprecating Kevin Cash joke. But you have to be just poor enough to not be able to put the uniform on every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I played I played at LaSalle University. Had a wonderful career there. Really enjoyed my time there and had the fortune of playing under Ron Kittle um, with the Schaumburg Flyers. So he was. I remember him growing up as a you know 1983 Rookie of the Year and. I knew it was time to transition into scouting when uh, I would hit in group three and he was at 50 some odd years old. He would jump in there and hit balls farther than I could. Um, so I said, it's probably about time. And, and he actually helped transi- help that transition when I was released. Um, he made a few phone calls around the game and the Orioles were the team that had an offer um, you know, to come out and Hey, could you throw BP? Can you learn how to scout? Can we use you as kind of like the utility infielder, so to speak, the jack of all trades? So I packed up my car and hung up my cleats and uh, ended up in Baltimore right around the time where Cal Ripken was retiring. And uh, just a really special moment to be able to, you know, make my, um, you know, scouting and front office debut in that type of environment. Do you have any advice to anybody trying to trying to break into baseball and do what you do? I mean, you alluded to it a little bit just then. Sure. I think that some of it is, you know, don't be afraid to go up and shake somebody's hand and, um, you know, introduce yourself and do a lot more listening than you do talking. Um, especially I, I've learned so much from people over time in this game, um, you know, things that I probably not would have come into my own um, learning as quite as quickly. But just respecting the people that have done this before and asking them good questions. I know tomorrow night Bobby Heck is getting an award for uh, – you know, for a scout of the year, and and Bobby's been in the game a long time as well, and um, you know he's. If I had to paint the picture of somebody who could go out there and, um, you know, just really mentor that first person trying to get their job, Bobby comes to mind. So there are people out there that are going to help you, and um, if you're willing to take that advice and listen. Going back to LaSalle, I also read that you majored in communications. Spent a lot of time this week with Jason Wallace and Elvis Martinez, and that could have been you. So so. Why didn't you want to pursue that route? I think if things would have fell a little bit different way, I might be the one holding the microphone instead of the one speaking into it. Um, but no, I uh, my father years ago worked for the Chicago Cubs, um, and he was a newspaper writer uh, in the 70s and 80s, sports writer. Um, so a lot of that fascination for the communication side of things came from him, um, and that I had a passion for writing and a passion, um, you know, f- for the communication field in general. Um, so when when you're here this week and you're doing interviews with 
with various outlets. It's uh, you always think back and say, you know, my life could have turned out differently. I could be on the other side of the microphone and just have a lot of respect for, you know, the media and the job that they have when you when you went to school for that field. Yeah. Well, we appreciate it. And that passion still shines through, <laughs> Kevin Ibach. We, we really appreciate you taking the time, though, and enjoy the rest of your time here in Nashville. Great. Thanks, Chris. We want to thank everybody for their time today, including Kevin Cash, Adam Berry, Chandel Laudermilk, and Kevin Ibach. Remember to keep it right here for all the latest Rays news from Nashville. I'm Chris Adams-Wall. We'll talk to you again soon from the Winter Meetings in Music City. Thank you.